You know, this is obviously a new year and you almost expect to hear some message that's kind of geared toward new beginnings and starting a new year. And um, it really is true that now more than any other time of the year, um, we are thinking about reing things, aren't we? And I say reing because there's all sorts of re's that we talk about this time of year. Uh, some of us have plans to to rethink and reevaluate certain things. It might be our things in our jobs, our, our relationships, our homes, our families. We want to rethink. Maybe we want to rearrange things. Maybe in our houses we want to rearrange or, or reorganize. Or maybe some of you are here this morning out of a desire to recommit yourselves to coming to church, to being in worship. There's all sorts of re's um, that we do. And I'm I, I just think it's kind of funny when I started thinking about all of the, the re's that we do. Uh, we never stop reing, do we? <laughs> we're just always reing. And uh, we're always redoing something. And um, it's funny how we're constantly doing that because you only have to re something for one of two reasons, really. One is if I did it once and I didn't get it right. So I have to to redo it, um, whatever it is, or evaluate something. I didn't evaluate it correctly, so I have to reevaluate it. Um, I experienced it this past week after Christmas. Um, ben had a piece of furniture. We went to Ikea, right? And so I had to put together Ikea furniture. And those of you that have done that before, you know what that's like. There's no words. It's just pictures. It's just pictures and pieces, and so you put that thing together, and I, I, I was doing it like a champ. I was fired up, and I was figuring it out. And it was just a little three-tier, little bookshelf, not, not a big deal. Put it together, I was, I was so proud of myself, and I put it in place and realized I put one of the pieces backwards so that the, the white-covered part was on the back, and it was bare wood, you know, showing on the front. So you know what that means. You had to, I had to take apart like four or five steps to go backwards to take it apart to fix this one little piece that I wasn't doing. So that was just a practical example of me having to, to rebuild something because I didn't do it right the first time. So that, that's one reason that we have to re. Sometimes we have to re. The other reason is because what we did has not lasted Basically, that it's, it's deteriorated. It's been a long time since we've done something, and it's, it's deteriorated, or it's gotten old, or it's fallen apart, and it has to be re replaced. So we have to redo something over again. And that's just a constant cycle. It doesn't matter if it's the beginning of a new year or not. There's all sorts of those reasons. I hope that maybe, especially this beginning of a year, that one of the things that you are wanting to re- is your relationship with Jesus, your walk with the Lord. And it may not be that you, that you need to redo anything with your relationship or your standing with Jesus, but maybe it's the walk that you're struggling with. And so I, I feel like this series, this uh, teaching that we're going to do together, uh, I hope will help you in reworking or, or reestablishing your walk with Jesus. Um, Henry Drummond, who was a 19th century Scottish evangelist, uh, once said this, willpower does not change men. Time does not change men. Only Christ does. 
And this time of year, we rely a lot on our willpower, don't we? (laughs) And we find how inadequate our willpower is. Um, Or willpower can't really change us. Only Jesus does. And so I'm, I'm called this series Produce. Now, you may think, well, Eric, is it called Produce or is it called Produce? Uh, you can say it either way you want to. That's on purpose. That's a little bit of a play on words because we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So a word that we use to describe fruit that we harvest and grow, we call it, you go to the grocery store, you buy it, you call it produce. But we are also talking about what the fruit of the Spirit present in the life of a believer will produce in us. What, what comes out of that fruit. So uh, when you're telling somebody about what we're what we're talking about, you can pronounce it either way. You can use it as a noun or you can use it as a verb because we're going to try to apply it in both of those ways. Um, And there's a couple of things that I hope for this series over the next few weeks. Uh, We're going to be counting today. This is going to be a 10-week series. Now, that's not as long as Nehemiah. Nehemiah was 18 weeks. I went back and looked. So, This is about half the size of Nehemiah. So maybe you hung with me through Nehemiah. I hope you'll hang with me through this one. Um, But I hope uh, one of two things will happen for you, that you will see the fruit of the Spirit present in your life through our time in his word together, and you'll understand greater how it grows, and that you'll be able to, in that that desire to want to reestablish or or reevaluate your walk with Jesus, that, that this will benefit that. But I also believe that a result of this series, and I pray that a result of it will be that the Holy Spirit may show you the absence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That there may be people who are here that maybe for the first time realize these things that the Bible says are supposed to be a part of my life, I just don't see them. And in understanding that the fruit is not there, they'll come to an understanding that it's because the Holy Spirit's not present. And if the Holy Spirit isn't present in our life, that means we don't have a relationship with Jesus and that we're lost and we need him. And that maybe people may come to salvation and, and, and trust in the Lord for the first time. But we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Galatians. So if you want to go ahead and find Galatians, we'll be in chapter 5 uh, today. And we're going to begin um, here. And we're going to go back to Galatians 5. Uh, every week, we're, we're going to look at Galatians 5, especially verses 22 and 23, because that is where Paul gives us this list of characteristics for um, what the fruit of the Spirit produces in us. Um, but before we start talking about the, the individual characteristics of the fruit that's in those verses, I want us to leave today with a full understanding of, of where the fruit comes from. I could go outside at my house or here at the church and I could dig a hole and I could put any number of things in the hole and I could cover it up. But the only thing that will grow a tree that will bear any fruit is a seed. I can bury my iPhone. That's not going to do anything. I can bury my shoe. I can bury uh, whatever, I can bury money, I can bury any of those things in the ground, it's not going to produce anything except if there's a seed. And so 
there has to be an appropriate seed to bear this appropriate fruit. If there's a certain kind of fruit that I want to grow on a tree, I have to make sure I've got that kind of seed that corresponds to that kind of fruit that I want to grow. And so before we start talking about the fruit, I want us to get a good understanding of what seed are we talking about. What is, what is the seed that the fruit comes from? The book of Galatians, ultimately, if you read it together, it's about freedom. Um, theologians have called the book of Galatians the Declaration of Independence for Christians or the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's, it's one of the, the strongest theological um, pieces that we have in Scripture of, of um, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. When you study church history, we know of Martin Luther, who was one of the uh, primary and, and most impactful reformers of the church. And most of Martin Luther's work and his efforts in the Reformation were fueled by his study of the book of Galatians and his defense of the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in a time when the church was predominantly teaching a salvation that came through works. Luther saw that in Galatians that's not the case and his study of this book motivated um, what became the Protestant Reformation. Um, salvation by grace through faith and freedom from sin and bondage to religious legalism. Paul is writing the letter to the church in Galatia because there were Jews who were trying to tell all the new believers that before you can really become a Christian, you have to go back and, and adopt and adhere to all of the laws and the rules and the ceremonies and the rituals of Judaism. And you have to do all of these things before you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And Paul speaks up and he writes urgently to the church to say this is not the case because that is pure legalism and legalism is not the gospel. And so he's correcting that. And when we get to chapter 5, chapter 5 is all about that freedom that we have because legalism is another form of bondage. And Paul says that's, that's not what Christ has saved us for. He has saved us to set us free, not just from sin, but from legalism. And so chapter 5 is all about that freedom and how that freedom is reflected in our lives once we come into a relationship with Jesus by grace through faith. And so I want us to start in verse 16. We're going to look at verses 16 through 26 in chapter 5. And we're going to look at it a little bit at a time and try to build a foundation for everything we're going to talk about over the next nine weeks. Okay? So look at verse 16 with me. In Galatians 5, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, there's a couple of things that I think Paul is doing in chapter 5. The verses previous to verse 16 where we're starting, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 5 and read through verse 15... Those verses about are, are about our standing in Jesus, that we are free from sin and we're no longer bound to it because the Bible teaches that before 
we are saved, that we are bound to sin. And there's no, there, there's no power that we have in ourselves to free ourselves from it. We are ruled by it. We are controlled by it. And there's nothing we can do about it because we're not strong enough. Jesus and his salvation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and in our faith, he has freed us from that. He has broken the chains. We're free not to have to live in bondage to sin anymore, but we're free to choose righteousness. We're free to choose and to walk in the path that he's laid out for us. So he talks about our standing in those first 15 verses. It's as if if you think about a courtroom. If I were a defendant in the courtroom, we go through the trial and there would be a moment that the judge would have me stand and he would pronounce the judgment over me. And from the moment the judge would say in the courtroom, we find the defendant not guilty, he would turn to me or she and would say, you're free to go. So in that moment, as I stand in that courtroom, the judges pronounced me free to go. So in that moment, my standing is freedom. But I'm not really free until I turn around and take the steps and walk out of the courtroom, am I? I can stand there and the judge can say I'm free, but as long as I'm still standing there and I'm not moving, I'm free to what? I have to walk. I have to start taking steps in that freedom. And so life begins, that freedom begins when I walk out of the courtroom and I begin to take steps. That's what these verses are about, verses 16 through 26. Paul in verses 1 through 15, he says, your standing is freedom. But now verses 16 through 26, these verses about, are about the walk. Not, your, not just standing, you're free but now how do you walk in that freedom and, and, and based on what Christ has done for you? So these verses are about our walk. It's about the walk of a believer. And the walk of a Christian is a battle, isn't it? Would anybody say it's easy? Would anybody say, oh yeah, living the Christian life, following after Jesus, I got that. That's easy. No, it's not. It's a battle. And the reason it's a battle, Paul is going to explain to us because there's this tension that exists in us between our flesh and the Spirit of God that's, that, that's come into our lives. We, we still live under the influence of our old life because we're still in the same body. When Christ saves us, we aren't fully redeemed physically. There's nothing physically that changes about us. We don't transform physically into a new body. I'm still in the same shell of a body I was in when I was lost. I'm still living in the same broken world. So those, the, that influence of the spiritual nature is still a part of me because, because I still live in the same flesh. But now what's different is that rather than being bound to sin in, the, in my flesh, I've been freed from it spiritually. So now I can, I can walk in, in freedom so the Spirit is in me. Now the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in this, in this same sinful body. And there's this tension. And Paul says that there's the Spirit and the flesh and they both are present in our lives and they are opposed to one another. That means they'll never, 
They'll never mix. When he talks about flesh too, that word flesh, every time he uses flesh, it's not just talking about physical body, like literal flesh and bone. He's talking about the nature of our flesh, our sinful nature. Anything in us that is opposition, in opposition to God's righteousness. Any rebellion that's in us. And we still have that. And they don't mix together. It's like literally like oil and water. If I were to take a big clear uh, beaker and pour, fill it half full of oil and then pour water in it, you'd be able to see that both of those are present in there together and, and, and they're mixing around. And I can stick, I can put a spoon or something in there and I can mix those, I can swirl those things around as much as I want to. But that oil and that water will never, ever combine because they're opposed to one another. And if we could look inside of our life, that's probably kind of a good illustration of what it looks like for the flesh and the spirit to dwell in, in us at the same time. They're both there. They're both present. They'll never mix with one another. And so what determines what comes out of us is which one is, is greater, which one we are, we are, are living in accordance to and and it's a struggle. Any Christian who tries to paint this picture of living, living the Christian life as easy is lying. Because Paul even says in Romans chapter 7, we're, we're familiar with this. Look at chapter 7, verses 21 through 24 here. Paul is describing this, this struggle between the flesh and the spirit all mixed up together in our life. He says, when I want to do what is good... Evil is present with me, for in my inner self I delight in God's law. We've, we've sang about that already. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And so Paul even is is expressing almost in this desperation of the, living in this struggle. And it's hard. He says, I know what I want to do. My heart wants to do a certain thing. My mind wants to do a certain thing. I want to honor the Lord. I want to please him. I want to be obedient. But yet there's always something in me that's fighting against that. Make it, tripping me up, make it, pulling me away, causing me to be tempted, causing me to be selfish and go after things that I want rather than what God wants. And it's a constant struggle. So as Christians, we identify with Paul in that struggle. We want to walk in the way that pleases God. The fact that you're here is evidence of the fact that you, you want to please the Lord because worshiping him is something that, that honors him, it pleases him. He, he commands us to do that. We want to walk in the way that pleases him, but our sinful nature is constantly battling in our minds and our hearts and dragging us away and dragging us back toward the things that we used to want before we were Christians. Those, that, those things we were chained to as, as unregenerate sinners that Christ has freed us from, there's something in our sinful nature that keeps wanting to drag us back to these things that, that we've already been freed from. And it's a struggle. Do you remember, you remember um, some of you may have done this before, and maybe kids, if, if, you're, if you've never done this before, 
you should do it. That old little science biology experiment where you stand in a doorway and you take both of your arms and you push them, push them out and you push out on the doorway. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are shaking your head. I wish I had, if I had a, we had a props department, if we were some mega church, I would have a door frame up here. <laughs> and then I would just show you, but I don't. But you, you, where you stand in the doorway and go home and try this. Uh, and, and, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Take your arms and just push upward against the door frame and hold it there and keep pushing for, and count to 60. Do that for a minute. And just don't stop pushing. Just keep pushing, keep pushing. And then you step out from the door frame and just let your arms hang limp. What happens? Yeah, you feel them. Like you're not making them go, but they just go, right? You're, you're, some of you have done that before, you know that. But if you've never done that before, you should totally do it because it's so weird. <laughs> I feel like that's kind, of, that's kind of an illustration of the sinful nature in us. If we are not walking with the Spirit. Now, when you do that with your arms and you step out and you feel them lifting up, can you make it stop? Yeah. You can intentionally like force your arms down or you can wiggle them around or something like that. And that sensation of them wanting to lift up, it'll go away. You can make it stop. But if you just leave it, leave your arms limp and just let them do what they want, they're going to they're gonna want to rise up. That sinful nature in us is going to want to rise up in us if we are intentionally doing something to make it different. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, if we're not in tune, if we're not intentionally cultivating our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and listening and following and walking in that, then Paul says our, our default is going to take us back to those things that God has already freed us from. It's going to take us back to that sin. Here's the first point. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only power we have to walk in the freedom of salvation. The only power we have to walk in freedom is through the Holy Spirit. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. That's where willpower comes in. And willpower, when it comes to walking the Christian life, does you no good. The only power that will enable you to walk in the freedom that you have been given in Christ is the Holy Spirit. Not your willpower, because your willpower is faulty. It's sinful. Just like there is no salvation without Jesus, right? There is no salvation of our souls without the work of Jesus. There is no sanctification in our life without the work of the Holy Spirit. And you say, what is sanctification? That's one of those big church words that just means the, the, the making of ourselves into the image of Jesus. The more we grow, the more we become like Christ through our obedience and our relationship with him, the more he's making us. Sanctification starts when we give our lives to Christ, when we trust him, and it's a continuous process that won't be complete until we stand face to face with him and we're made perfectly complete in him. So we're constantly being sanctified, and that work is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, and it can't happen without him. Here's an example that I want you to see. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus in the garden with his disciples. This is right before he's to be arrested and 
tried and crucified. And in verse 40, after he leaves the disciples and goes into the garden to pray, he comes back and, he, and it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and what? Pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is what? Willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is trying to teach Peter and James and John this principle in this moment. He comes back to them. After he asks them to stay awake, he comes back. They can't. They're so physically exhausted. They're emotionally exhausted. They can't stay awake on their own. And so when Jesus comes back and he says, Peter, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, get your act together. Figure it out. You should be able to stay awake for, for just a little while while I go in here to pray. You should be ashamed of yourself. Get yourself together. Figure it out. This is ridiculous. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, stay awake and what? Pray. You know why? He told them to pray because he was telling them, you've tried it on your own and you can't. You're, you are physically not able to do what I'm asking you to do right now. And the only way you're going to be able to do it is if you rely on the Spirit. So you need to pray. You need to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's strength to help you do what I'm asking you to do because without him, you won't be able to do it. And he says what we experience every day. The Spirit is willing. It's not that they didn't want to be there for Jesus. Of course they did. But it was their flesh. It was, it was pulling them away. It was that sinful nature in them that was keeping them from being able to, to do what Jesus asked them to do. And Jesus said, the only way you're going to be able to do it is to pray. Rely on the Spirit. The same is true for us. Though the Spirit's been given to us and the Holy Spirit is in us, there is still a command to follow his leadership as he enables us to do what we can't do on our own. Paul is telling us in Galatians 5, the more steps that we take in step with the Holy Spirit, instead of doing things on our own, the less we will see our sinful nature win out in the daily battles that we face. The more we intentionally walk. And see, there's a, there, there are two things when it comes to the Holy Spirit and, and his power that he gives us to walk in the, in, in the life of a believer. We definitely, there's a call to rely on the Holy Spirit. But there's also a call to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. See, some, some Christians will make it too much. That, that's the only thing. I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear people throw out that cliche, let go and let God. And I understand what people mean when they say that. But there's a little bit of that that implies I don't really have to do anything. I just have to let go of everything and just let God do whatever uh, he's going to do in me. And if he's going to make me into what he wants me to be, I just got to let him do it and take my hands off and sit here and do nothing. But that's not really the call of, 
of the whole counsel of what Scripture says, there is also a call for us to respond. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he does a transforming work that we can't do on our own. He empowers us to do what we can't do by ourselves. But there is still all throughout the New Testament the call to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. To walk in step with it. To take action. To take responsibility for what's been put in our lives. We can't just sit back and say, well, the reason I'm not close to God is because God just hadn't made it happen. He's given us everything that we need in the Holy Spirit. All of the power that's necessary. So in these next verses, starting in verse 19, Paul has talked about in, in the verses before the struggle between the flesh and the spirit and both of those, you know, the oil and the water that's sort of swirling around in our life. They're both present. And he shows us that our default is the flesh. If we're not walking in the spirit, then we're gonna walk in the flesh. There's only two options. So he, he shows us what does the attitude and actions of the flesh look like. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh, he says, are obvious. That means it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, to see it in our life and notice that these are worldly, fleshly, sinful things. And then here's a long list. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. You notice that he puts that on the end as if to say, as long as that list is, that's not everything. There's even more that are the works of the flesh. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, anytime you read, will not inherit the kingdom of God, our, our, our ears kind of perk up because we want to go, hey, is that me? And we can get confused and this can kind of scare us because we can think, okay, I know lost people who sometimes do those things, but, but sometimes they do good things too. And then I know that me as someone who is saved, I have the Holy Spirit, but is there any of us in the room that can say we've never done any of these things? No. So that could cause us to read that and think, well, does that mean if any of these things are, are present at all in my life, does that mean I'm not saved? And the answer is no. These are the default attitudes and actions of our hearts when we are separated from God, living without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is a characterization of someone, the deepest heart of a person lost without Christ. This is what's inside of us. This is the condition of our hearts without Jesus. Now, verse 21 is really important because at the end of this list, he says, I'm warning you about these things. And the warning is that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a key word in verse 21, and it's that word practice. 
And if you begin to study and look at the language and, and look at all of the, the Greek and what those things mean, that language Paul is using in verse 21 represents a continuous, habitual action. So what Paul is saying is not just, not that if you do any of these things ever, you won't be in the kingdom. But he's saying, for those whose lives are characterized by these things, for those who habitually, consistently see these things coming out of them, if these are, are the rule rather than the exception for your life, you should take heed because if, if this is the state of your heart, you won't go into the kingdom. You won't be a part of it. Habitual, continual action. It's sort of the two pictures here that I think Paul is painting is one of, a, of an unsaved person who these things rule their life, but occasionally they'll do good things, right? I mean, you hear people say even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? That, that every once in a while, even, even people with, this, with their heart is in this state, they'll still do good things sometimes. The opposite for the believer because our hearts have been saved, we've been freed from these things, we're not bound to these things anymore. In our efforts to try to walk in the spirit, there's a different characterization that we're gonna read in just a minute that, that describes the, the heart of a believer. But just like the, the lost person will sometimes do good things, the saved person will sometimes do the bad things. Why? Because of that struggle with the flesh Paul's already talked about. The fact that that sinful nature is still there. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, which description, this one or the one we're about to read, which one characterizes my life? Which one do I habitually see coming out of me? Which one is, is the rule most of the time? So Paul then, in verse 22, is going to contrast the deeds of the sinful nature, the deeds of the flesh, with what the Spirit looks like. And this is verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, what comes out of the life of a believer that, is, that has the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul, in the verses before, he paints a picture of what the unregenerate heart of a sinner looks like. But then the heart, the picture of the heart who has surrendered to Christ, who has, who has allowed Christ to crucify our sinful desires and allowed the Spirit to take residence in our life. He says the, the fruit from the heart of a believer, the Holy Spirit that's in them, the fruit from the Holy Spirit is comes out of us and it looks like this. These are the things that we see coming out of our lives. When we are walking in step 
with Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit is present. This is the fruit or this is what is produced in our lives when we're believers, when the Holy Spirit is present. And so I hope that this picture is what you see for most of us. When you examine your own life, it's not that we do these things all the time. I can count the times this week that I've not demonstrated these things in my life. That I've allowed the, my sinful nature to win out in moments where I've fallen. But even, even in those moments of weakness and in those moments of failure, there's an abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that lets me know that it's, it, it's not because I wasn't able. It, it was because I didn't choose. I wasn't walking in the Spirit. Because even as believers, we will operate in the flesh at times. But the power to walk in the Spirit is present, and it's there, and he's provided it for us. But I want us to, to end today with a, with a proper understanding as we are going to be talking about every single one of these characteristics of what this fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like in our lives. And we're going to take them one at a time and talk about them. There's something really important that I want us to make sure that we understand. And that's where this good fruit comes from. It doesn't come from you. And if we can walk through this study understanding that the, this fruit of the Spirit is not something that we manufacture on our own. It's not something that we can cultivate in our own lives. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. So here's the last point. The Holy Spirit is the seed that bears the virtuous fruit of the Christian life. Maybe if we want to think about it in those terms, we bear fruit of our lives and like, like we are trees maybe. But the kind of fruit that grows on our branches and our limbs, the kind of fruit that comes out of our life is going to be dependent on the seed that was planted. If you want to grow an apple tree, you plant apple seeds. If you want to grow oranges, you plant orange seeds. So whatever fruit comes out of my life, if, if the fruit of the Spirit is evident in me, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if those are things that I see coming out of my life, I can't fool myself into thinking that I've cultivated those in my own life on my own. That those only come from, from the seed that was planted. And the seed that was planted in my life is the Holy Spirit when I, when I surrendered my life and turned it over to Jesus. We are bearers of that fruit. And we're not, we don't do it in perfection because we're still trapped in our old sinful natures and bodies. But but church, there's a promise one day. Now, I feel like I've been talking about the hope of eternity a lot lately. I don't know exactly why. It just comes up. But one of the promises that we have in the resurrection, in the promised resurrection, is there will be a day when Christ comes and, we're, and our bodies are resurrected and we're given, and those of us that are left are caught up together, and we're, and we're given a new body 
that the eternity that we will live in with Christ will be, we'll have a new body that won't have a sinful nature anymore. Can you imagine living a day-to-day life in the presence of the Lord, the direct presence of God, not having to battle your flesh anymore? Folks, that's a promise. That is a promise that we have as believers. That, that That's the answer to Paul's question that he cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? It will be Jesus. One day we'll be delivered from this body of death and there won't be a battle and there won't be a struggle anymore. But for now, we have to do everything we can to walk in accordance with the spirit that's in us. I'm gonna share this illustration with you. It says, the spirit's provision of fruit might be compared to a man standing on a ladder in an orchard, picking the fruit and dropping it into a basket held by a helper below. No matter how much fruit is picked and dropped, the helper will only receive, won't receive any unless he's standing under the ladder with his basket ready. Christ has done all the work. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But if we're not walking with the Spirit, if we're not waking up on a daily basis prepared with our basket in hand, ready to, to take hold of what it is that he's, he's fought for us, he's won for us, and he's given to us freely, then we'll never experience the freedom that he has pronounced on us because of his work and because of our faith. So if you're bearing the fruit of the gospel in your life, I hope that this study will help you cultivate it. I hope that this time will help you will cultivate it in a way that it will produce more fruit, that we'll, we'll, we'll learn how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit more as believers. But if our lives aren't bearing the fruit of the gospel, it's either because we, we're believers, we're saved, but we're not walking in step with the Holy Spirit, or there's no fruit in our lives because the Holy Spirit's not present, because we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And my prayer is that through these weeks even this morning, that the Holy Spirit would be faithful to reveal that to each and every one of us. The state of our hearts, the state of the presence of the Holy Spirit or the absence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and what that greatest need is.